When Pinocchio realized that he was alive, he asked Geppetto, what is a life for? What is a life for? And that is a really good question that I'd like you to ask yourself this weekend. What is a life for? What does it mean to be alive? What's it like for you to be alive? What's your life for? That was a question that a man tried to ask Jesus. It came at the end of a lot of questions that were asked by the enemies of Jesus. They were interrogating him and throwing all kinds of theological questions his way in hopes that maybe somehow they might trap him and prove him to be a heretic. And then as a result of that, they would have an opportunity to discredit him from all the people following. But what they quickly realized is that they were no match for Jesus. That in their attempts to try to stump Jesus, they actually made fools out of themselves. It was right at the tail end of that that this man popped this question that's found in Mark chapter 12, if you want to turn there with me, and we'll look at that together. It's also up here on the screen. The man, it says, one of the teachers, the law, came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That means with all your feelings and with all your soul. And that word soul means to choose. It's your will. And he says, with all your mind, that is, all your thoughts and your God-given imagination. And he says, with all your strength, meaning your whole body. So like when we kneel or stand or raise our hands to worship God, we're involving our whole being. He says, the second is this, picks up on love again. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment, Jesus says, that is greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared to ask Jesus any more questions. So what was Jesus saying when he talked about loving God with every fiber of your being? What was he saying to not only them and to that man, but to you and to me? C.S. Lewis in his writings writes something that might help us understand what Jesus is saying a little bit better. He said, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at 
all. And then he kind of applies what he said. He said, when first things are put first, second things are not suppressed, but increased. What does that mean? Well, in other words, if I love God first and most, then everybody else that I love in my life is going to get an upgrade. We all like upgrades, don't we? But if I put other people or other things first and I love those more than God, I'm really not loving them the way I could if I loved God first. So the question for us all to kind of wrestle and consider, whether we're in junior high or high school or whatever age we are, is do I love God first and do I love God most? which, at least for me, is something I always have to work at every day of my life. Because it doesn't come naturally. By default, I have a tendency to love other things or other people or other situations more than I love God. Even though I would say I love God the most, my actions kind of betray the fact that it's not always the case in my life. That's why what Henry Drummond said is so important he said, love has been called the greatest thing in all the world. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but I do. <clears throat> love, I think, is the greatest thing in all of the world. But, Henry Drummond says, its greatness is only exceeded by its lack of display in the world. In other words, it's easy to say, I love God. Love is the most important thing in all the world. But the question is, do we practice it? Do we show it? I read something the other day, and I, I don't remember where I read it, but the gist of it was simply this, that the thing we must do more than anything else, it may have been D.L. Moody, is we need to convince the world that God loves it. <laughs> I like that. That's not a bad mission. And we exist to convince the world that God loves the world. But the problem is, how can, you convince the, how can you convince the world that God loves it if you don't show it? Then it's just a bunch of empty words. So that's really what our job is as believers, those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ. And if we are truly going to be the church of Christ, that is our job is to show people that God loves them. But... Our culture is so cynical these days about love. If you want to know what the world thinks about love, listen to its music. Watch what's on the television or on movies. Overhear conversations. People talk really loud about personal things. I don't know if you went to the concert. How many of you went to the concert last night? Anybody? So good. How many of you are going today? You're really going to enjoy it. Marsha and I, between uh, the Saturday night service and the concert, went to a very busy fast food restaurant uh, not too far away. And uh, we sat down at our little table. And I was amazed at how loud the people around us were about what's going on in their lives. I kind of enjoyed it. And you learn a lot about people in the community. There's a lot of great sermon illustrations in what people are talking about. And they're all talking about relationships. And I would just say that probably over 80% are talking about a relationship that isn't going so well. 
We've become very cynical about love. Maybe it's because we don't understand love and we throw the term around so much. It reminded me of a song that you have to be about my age to appreciate. We'll see how many of you can remember it. It was written by a secular band called the Jay Giles Band. And it goes something like this. I will not sing it, don't worry. <laughs> but I'm tempted. This thing they call love is going to make you cry. I've had the blues. I've had the reds and the pinks. One thing's for sure. Love stinks. Love stinks. <laughs> All right. Some of you say that with great conviction. Love stinks. It goes on. He says, I've been through diamonds. I've been through minks. I've been through it all. Love stinks. Love stinks. Really? I mean, is that, is love really stink? I mean, a lot of people have been burned by love, right? Puppy love, whatever love you want to call it. A lot of people have been burned by love. You want to know more about what the culture thinks about love? Ever, how many of you read bumper stickers? Nowadays, you got to be careful, but uh, they should put ratings on bumper stickers. But I, I've got a few here that kind of tell you about where people are. This one says, the more people I meet, the more I like my dog. Well, how about sometimes I wake up grumpy, other times I let him sleep. <laughs> Older generation likes that one. This one, this one's ooh, kind of painful. All men are idiots. I married their king. <laughs> I wonder what's going on in that marriage. Or sorry, I don't date outside my species. I don't suffer from insanity. I enjoy every minute of it, which feels like that when you live in this world. Or how can I miss you if you won't go away? Sounds like a country song. Or be nice to your kids, they'll choose your nursing home. That's getting more real for me. Does it have to be that way? That's the big question. Does it have to be like that? Or, or is, there, is there truly love? Can we really love? And the answer is yes, we can really love. But we're going to have to come to terms with a very important principle. You might want to jot it down. I personalized it. My ability to love and relate to others depends, two very important words, depends on my understanding and experience of God's love for me. Intellectually and experientially. My ability to love my wife, my kids, you, anybody, depends on me understanding and experiencing how much God loves me and what it means that God loves me. And I, I'm just afraid a lot of us, even as followers of Christ, still don't understand what it means that God loves us. We fall into the default mode of constantly thinking that somehow God's love on me is conditional. It depends on how I behave. It depends on how good I've been. And how long I've been good. And I'm here to tell you, it has nothing to do with that. It doesn't matter how good you've been. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. The reality is God does love you and God does love me. Listen to these words of John in 1 John chapter 4. I'd like to encourage you to read the whole chapter later on. Because part of it parallels what we just read in Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> you see the consistency of Scripture. John writes, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. I kind of like that. Like, you want to know if God lives in you? 
and you in him, then John says, realize he's given us of his spirit. That's how you know he's given you his spirit. And the spirit bears fruit, and the fruit of the spirit is one thing, love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control are all aspects of love, but one fruit, love. And so if God lives in you and you're living in him, you should be experiencing the fruit of his loving presence. And that's possible, he says, because we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So I know it's possible because Jesus came to save me. He came to change me. He came to deposit God's love in my life through the Spirit. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. By the way, that's a huge theme. Maybe you should preach on it uh, in, in uh, next fall. Maybe I'll do a series on it. Because the Bible talks a lot about living in God and God living in us. What a wonderful mystery, huh? We mortal human beings have God living in us and us living in him. Maybe we'll cover it this January in our series on identity, which would be very important. It goes on and John says, and so we know and rely on what? Oh, come on. Talk to me. On the love of what? On the love of God. Not the love of my wife or my, my husband or my kids or my boss or my friend or my church, but on the love of God, which never fails, we talked about last weekend. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. I love this. God is, in essence, love. If you were to somehow get God under the microscope and you can't, and you examine what he's made of, you would say, God is made of the substance of love. Whoever lives in love... That is God's love. Well, that is obvious. Lives in God. <laughs> and if you live in God, you are living in his love. And God in them. That's the beauty of what's being said to us here. But it raises a question. What is love? Now, if you go and ask the culture, what is love? You would hear predominantly, especially in the younger generation, Love is a feeling. Love is an emotion. Love is the warm fuzzies. Love is your heart beating faster, your palms kind of sweaty. Love is this attraction. Love is this desire. Love is this want. If you met a Stoic along the way, they would say, love is an action. Doesn't matter how you feel. Love is a duty. Love is doing the right thing no matter what your feelings tell you. And both are right. Love involves emotions, and love involves an act of the will, regardless of how I might feel at the time or at the moment. But our culture really struggles with what love is. Love is much deeper than those things. There was a guy who was around in the 1700s. He was a theologian and pastor. His name was Jonathan Edwards. He really, I think, gets at the heart of what love is, but he writes a little archaically, so you got to listen kind of carefully. He wrote, what could be more properly called love to any being or anything, here's the real connecting word, than to place one's happiness in that thing, causing the good of another now to be your good. What? What could be more properly called love to any being or anything than to place one's happiness in that being or thing, causing the good of another to now be your good? Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, 
True love is when I care more for your success and joy than my own. And I would just simply say, true love is when I care more for your success and joy than my own. And when you have that success and joy, it gives me great joy. In other words, true love is when I get to help you flourish. And I, and I just feel love in my heart. So love is, is given away. That's, that's really a great definition of God's love. God's love. God loves to see you flourish in his love. God loves to see you grow. God loves to see you abide. God loves to see you pray. God loves to see you at peace and filled with his joy and filled with his hope. He loves it. Just like God also grieves. God grieves, you know that. When I don't have that in my life. When I'm missing that in my life. Then God grieves. And there's a sense in which we ought to grieve too. On the one hand, we can have great joy in our lives like Jesus had, but on the other hand, we can also grieve because we see people and we just see what they're missing. If you can't grieve for people, you're never going to truly love them. That's the, the risk, the cost of love that is oftentimes paid. I want to give you two other illustrations of this. They're imperfect, although this one is, gets pretty close to it. And by the way, you don't have to be married to know this. You can understand it if you're single as well. But I want to use the illustration of marriage as an example of human love. Not God's love, but human love. I told you before, uh, when I met Marcia our, about our relationship, I've, I've told you some stories, so you may have heard this, maybe new for you, but when I met my wife, Marcia, I was smitten. I love that word. I was smitten with love. I just, I just was amazed that she would go out with me. And I'll never forget, early on dating, I took her to the Chan Hassan Dinner House Theater to see Fiddler on the Roof, and I hate musicals. <laughs> she loved them, and it, so I was like, whatever. I just want to be with the woman. So we went, and I don't know how it happened, but somehow our hands touched across the table, and I never let go. Like I could feel electricity just flowing up my arm, around my heart and my mind. I was, have, I was like having a high while Fiddler was singing on the roof. <laughs> and my arm fell asleep. And you know, before your arm falls asleep, it's very painful. And it ached and it hurt, but I didn't want to give up holding her hand because I thought, when will this happen ever again? <laughs> you can ask her, no preacher, you know, exaggerating here. Like when it was done, my arm was so dead, it's just like I had to go like this, boom. <laughs> All right, because I kept it there. Now, I was, I, I thought I was in love. But then somebody spoiled it. And what I discovered is I really wasn't in love. I was in ego nirvana. Like, I never thought someone like her would go out with me, let alone hold my hand, let alone want to be with me as beautiful and as intelligent, as cultured as she was. I'm just like, whoa, this makes me feel so good. This makes me, it kind of, I think I was in love with myself. So I think a lot of times we say in, when we're in love, what we're really saying is, 
you make me feel so good, I just love myself more. Now, it had been a whole lot different if she had taken her hand out of mine and slapped me in the face. Or had said, you know, up close, you're kind of ugly. <laughs> that would not be ego nirvana. You know where that would be, right? That would just be an ego disaster. And I would say that's it. That's because as adults and our independence, when we meet each other, what do we do? We want something from each other. I want you to make me feel good. And whoever makes us feel good wins. We want to be with them. But we all know, especially those of us who are married, we all know you cannot always give that person everything they want. Sometimes you're in a bad mood and you withhold. And that's what causes fusses and fights, right, in our relationships. And, you know, sometimes it gets pretty deep. If you're not going to give, I'm not going to give. And pretty soon nobody's giving anymore. And sometimes it ends in what we call divorce. So human love is not a good example of God's love. Now, a marriage can take on God's love. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm just saying coming from a human perspective, it's I want, I want. That's why Plato said that human love is the child of poverty. Human love is the child of poverty. I want, I want, I need, I need. It's never satisfied. God's love, and this is so imperfect as an illustration, but I'll, I'll use it to help us, at least it helps me. God's love is more like, <clears throat> excuse me, more like a parent's love. See, what do you mean by that? Well, when Marcia and I became parents, and anybody who is a parent will understand this, and as a child you'll understand it too, if you can think back. When Marcia and I became parents, we came to the reality that at that moment, our lives ceased to exist. You don't look at an infant and say, what do you have for me? Now, you may know that, but you all of a sudden experience that. Because that infant just takes everything out of you. You got to do everything for that kid. And I don't know if you've realized this, but as Marsha and I have gotten older, we've come to realize you never stop being a parent. Even when your kids become adults, you are still sacrificing for them. You're still giving for them. You're still praying for them. You're still worried about them. You're still concerned for them. You're still broken. You grieve over them. Why is that for normal parents? I understand there are some situations that have been horrible and devastating in, in families, and, and, I, and I don't, you know... I don't want to be sensitive to that, but I'm just saying, generally speaking, why is that? Why do we don't go to those links as parents? Because, listen carefully, this is my thought. That, therefore, it's wrong, you can blame me. It's because that child is an extension of us. We love ourselves. We love that extension of who we are. We love that child. It's much easier to love a child the way you want to be loved than it is to love anybody else, including your spouse. They are part of both of you. And while, yes, there are some parents that lead their kids and do horrible things, and I, that's a tragedy, rarely do you ever hear, though, of a parent divorcing a child because there is that love that's involved there, even though it might get strained enormously. See, that's, that's more like God's love. In the sense that you just don't give up. In the sense that you will sacrifice 
for the sake of that child. I remember when our, our daughter was little, she didn't sleep well. She was colicky at night. And Marcia and I would take turns, you know, trying to help her out. And sometimes I'd get up in the middle of the night and she'd be squalling and crying. And I'd pick her up and I'd bounce her around. I don't know where I ever heard this or read it, but I decided to put her in the car and go for a drive. He was amazing. I'd get in the car, I'd start it, and like as soon as the engine started, the, the, the car started to hum, she'd fall asleep. I'd be driving around town at 2 and 3 a.m. in the morning. It's a, it, you learn a lot about your city when you're driving around at 2 and 3 a.m. I mean, the police follow you when you're driving around at 2 and 3 a.m., right? And I'd just be driving and driving, enjoying the quiet, but watching my gas gauge go down because I had a big old Pontiac Catalina 400 engine, and it just sucked gas back in those days. And finally, I'd get back into the driveway, put it in park, She's sleeping soundly, so beautiful. And I'm thinking to myself, how am I going to get her from the car to the bedroom? And I shut the engine off and Wah! Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. Isn't it amazing what we do for our kids? Isn't it amazing what God does for you and what God does for me? Because he loves us so much. And it is not based on anything conditional. Look what Romans 5 tells us. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. That is such an important phrase because it tells me that God loved me before I even knew what was going on. Christ died for me. In other words, he didn't die after. He didn't die because I was good enough. He has nothing to do with me. He just gave his life. I love Ephesians 1, 7. It says, in him we have redemption. We've been made right with God through his blood. He died our death so we can live his life. Our sins have been forgiven. In accordance, look at this, with the riches of God's grace that he, my favorite word of the day, that he lavished, say that with me, lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. How many of you just love to be lavished by God's love? Let me see your hands. Just love to be lavished. See, what does lavish mean? Let me tell you. Hang on a second. All right. Whoa. Um, I don't know if you, you know, do you guys ever, so this is what the Greek means. Do you guys ever watch the ball games like when they win the championship? And the team, what does the team do? The team the team gets the bucket of Gatorade and dumps it, okay? That's what lavish means, all right? Literally, that's, that's what it means. It means, to, it means to take and dump out the love of God. And I just thought, since we have students in this service, be kind of fun. So you guys, there should be some tarps underneath your seat. They put them there? Do you guys, really? They're not there? Well, here we go. You ready? Because I want everybody to feel lavish. Do you think I would do this to you guys? Of course I would. All right. Blue water. You probably could see it on there. I, 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 did, I lost it. <clears throat> I, did it in the last, I did it in the last service to some people over here. And I watched it land, and, this, and I just saw this guy in a suit jacket kind of, <laughs> and like it's hanging off of him. And I'm like, oh, no. So 
So I went over after and said, ah, oh, thanks for being a good sport. And, and the, they're all like, we're keeping this stuff. We're keeping it. What a great reminder. So, but that's what God does, isn't it? He just lavishes us. He just, he just says, I lavish you with my love. Would you just enjoy it? So I alluded to something a couple of, uh, uh, I don't remember, a week and a half or so ago. Maybe this last Sunday, I don't remember. About uh, an experience I had. And I want to share it with you. Uh, I was having my quiet time. And I was in a public place uh, a ways away from here. And I've been reading through the book Revelation I had mentioned. <clears throat> and I... I was looking for ways to praise God. And in Revelation, oh my goodness, there's so many wonderful ways to praise God. And I'm writing them out. But they're all, they're all about the, the attributes of God's mightiness, God's powerfulness. It's about the attributes of God's greatness, God's fierceness, God is judge. He's just, you know, ooh, big. And then God spoke to me, and not in an audible voice, but but as real as I'm speaking to you into my mind and my heart. And when I heard God saying, because I'm just going through this praising God for each one, I kind of circle and doodle around and when I praise and keeps my mind focused. And um, I heard God say to me, all those things you're writing are true about me, but how about the fact that I'm loving and merciful and kind and filled with grace toward you, Dale, toward you? Could you praise me for that? And I sat back and I was just like, wow, oh, where's this coming from? And I thought, yeah, I can do that. And I, and I just began to, uh, you know, internally pray and focus and, and praise God for how he treats me, how he loves me. And I was just thinking about how undeserving I am. But I was like, became really aware of how undeserving I am. And then I came to peace with the fact that, yes, that's true. I'm undeserving, but he still chooses to love me. And something happened to me. It's never happened before and it hasn't happened since yet. <laughs> I hope it happens again. But I was all of a sudden, I was filled with this amazing sense of God's love for me. And I, I can't, it's hard for me to describe. It was both internal and external. But I felt entirely Loved by God. I mean, not just intellectually, but emotionally, I felt it. It was like, you know, it's like what I would imagine being high to be like. And I just, I remember sitting there going, what is going on? Is this a medical emergency? Is it in my tea? What is taking place here right now? Because I've never experienced that before. And it didn't stop. And it lasted all day long. It's one of the best days I've ever had. I felt invincible that day. I didn't need anything from anybody that day. I felt so secure in God. And I remember that night, I mean, after this day, I just said, God, please let it happen again tomorrow for my wife's sake and my kids' sake and my congregation's sake and the people driving around me, their sake and strangers' sake. God, let it happen again tomorrow. And I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and guess what? It didn't. <laughs> but God reminded me of something at that moment and that is, you know, I gave you a window. I gave you a very unique window to palpably experience how I feel about you. And you, you enjoyed it so much. And it relieved you of so much fear and worry because you felt so secure. Understand, I've always been there like that for you. And I always will be there like that for you. And so since then, 
It's really changed my life. Since then, every day, and I have my moments like you, but since then, every day, I've tried to get some time to center myself and be lavished by God's love. And, and I'm telling you, it's okay to do that. Because our nature is to think that that's very selfish and, and we shouldn't do that. I'm telling you what, it'll change your life, it'll change your family, it'll change your relationship. But it's something you have to do. You got to wear a new groove into your brain. Because your default groove in your brain, literally, neuro neurologically speaking, is set to think the opposite. But as you learn to live in that, it begins to change your whole demeanor and you become a very different person. That's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is all about letting God lavish us with his love. You feel lavished by his love today? Or you, or you struggle to prove yourself? Do you struggle like I've got I've to do all these things and then I'll earn being loved? Are you a needy person? I need, I need, I want, I want. Or, or are you so secure in God's love that you're a giving person? You give and you give. I want to share one more story with you. It's one of my favorites. It's a true story. It appears in his book, Mortal Lessons, Mortal Lessons by Richard Selzer, MD. <clears throat> I'm just going to read it to you. He writes, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy and clownish. A tiny twig of the facial nerve, the one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She'll be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, private. Who are they? I ask myself. He and this wry mouth that I have made, who gaze and touch each other so generously, greedily, the young woman speaks. Will my mouth always be like this, she asks. Yes, I say, it will. And it is that way because I had to cut the nerve. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. All at once, I know who he is. I understand, and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a god. Unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth, and I am so close, I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that their kiss still works. I love that picture because that is a picture of our God who wrinkles and twists into human form so that he can be Emmanuel, God with us, and so he can 
kiss us with his love. And he did that by going to the cross to take away our sins so we could be reconciled with our awesome, wonderful, and beautiful creator, our Father in heaven. Will you let God lavish you with his love? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, in these last few minutes together, I pray and ask that you would help us to allow you to kiss us with your love. Father, you contorted yourself into human form just to say, I love you. Just to say, I've come a long ways to bring you home. God, I just pray that we would not let anything stand in the way of your loving us. I pray we wouldn't let our sins stand in the way that we would confess those and receive your forgiveness. I pray, oh God, we wouldn't let bitterness stand in the way or false guilt or this sense that we're not worthy because we're not worthy. God, I pray sometime this season, give us the capacity to be still. Know that you are God and that you love us unconditionally even while we are still sinners. Help us to receive your love, Lord. If you want, we give you, we invite you to give us that amazing experience that you gave me where we feel in our very core of our being how loved we are. In Jesus' name, amen. So that's my prayer for you. And if I could today, I just would love to give you that gift called what? Called love. You know why I want to give it to you? Because number one, God wants you to have it. And number two, he also wants you to share it. And that's what we get to do Christmas Eve. The end of our service, we're going to be taking a offering or in the service, and it's going to go to widows and orphans, girls who would be trafficked. And the way we do it is we plant churches in communities in Asia where very few people, less than 1%, know about Jesus' love. And we ask every pastor in every church that we help train that they be responsible for the orphans and widows in their villages. And, and we've, by God's grace, been part of getting a 1,000 kids into homes. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. His name is Aman. And Aman is in a very difficult place in Asia. He comes to a lot of trainings. You've provided his training. He is a pastor of pastors, leading church planting movement. And uh, he and his wife and their kids, they saw this girl in their village. And she wasn't going to school and she didn't seem to have a home. And they found out more about her and realized she was an orphan. And they took her into her house and her life has changed her words are, I am so lucky to now know God. Well, we know it's not luck. But she's being educated. She's being loved. She has a family. And this is happening everywhere. So 
as you give, I just want you to know, not only are you giving to establish a gospel witness in a, in a village, but we're asking the churches then to do what we ought to do. We don't want to send these kids off to foreign agencies someplace waiting to be adopted by somebody at tens of thousands of dollars, as important as that is, and I'm thankful for that when it exists. But it's so much better if in their own village, their own culture, someone lovingly takes them in and looks after them. So just be prepared for that as a way to show love this Christmas Eve. Let's all stand together. Thanks for your patience. I pray that as you leave this place today, you'll feel loved by God. And I pray that that will stay with you throughout the Christmas season and beyond. If you want a pastor to pray with, one of our pastors will be here at the front. God bless you. You're dismissed.